fintech. While short for financial technology, it might as well stand for where on earth are we? The landscape is so vast and embraces so many efforts that breaking it into manageable chunks can be nothing short of a monumental effort. Yet insiders who know the turf well can point to areas of explosive growth, rapid change, and exceeding potential. To get that insider's privileged glimpse, we'll be talking with Scott Robinson of Plug and Play. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the Managing Editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. It is wonderful to have you here with us. This podcast is brought to you by Horizon. Imagine a world where bank employees and customers are digitally fluent on all new and existing digital innovations before they are released. Horizon makes this a reality for its global bank partners. As a direct result, digital adoption rates and customer experience scores increase dramatically. Call Horizon today at 647-926-2468 to schedule a demonstration or visit horizon.com. And don't forget that time is ticking down. Registration is now open for BAI Beacon. That takes place October 4th and 5th in Atlanta. To learn more about the fast-paced financial services conference, visit BAI.org slash BAI Beacon. And don't forget you can save $400 on your BAI Beacon registration using this code, PC1. The code expires August 31st. Today on the program, we are privileged to have a true fintech expert, Scott Robinson. Scott is the founder and vice president of Plug and Play Fintech, a financial technology-focused startup innovation platform. Plug and Play currently is in partnership with BNP Paribas, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, TD Bank, USAA, Intuit, and many more global financial institutions. Since the launch of the program in February 2015, Scott and his team have accelerated more than 130 fintech startups and have led more than 30 investments into the domain. And we should mention that as part of a strategic content alliance, BAI is proud to present the Plug and Play Tech Center at BAI Beacon in Atlanta this October. And Scott, great to have you on the program today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for the time and the opportunity. Now, as you and I both know, fintech... It's gotten a lot more complex over the last few years. Let's break it down in terms of how we can understand the fintech landscape today, front and center in 2017. The easiest way we kind of categorize this um, relates primarily to business models. So those that are enterprise facing versus consumer facing. And in each of these, the challenges relating to the product and the feature set often relate to both the channel and the infrastructure either to consumer or to other small, medium, or large-sized businesses. And so in our world, this could mean many different use cases and many different technologies. But generally speaking, enterprise-facing is often associated with general infrastructure upgrades. So this is a very common theme across financial institutions. And we've seen, I'd say, a greater emphasis in the past year specific to enterprise. And so this in and of itself is a significant challenge given that since the 2008 crisis, we've seen a fairly significant consolidation in the financial institution markets in the U.S. and elsewhere, which means each of these folks that have now brought in or reconciled or consolidated certain regional players 
with that comes that legacy infrastructure. And so that's one of the big challenges I think facing a lot of the incumbents and legacy folks today is with things still in production, perhaps even on IBM mainframes, how do we become a more digitally focused and adept entity to serve our customer better? And you just raised an outstanding question there. Such a good question that I want to pose it back at you. Companies with legacy infrastructure are asking that question. How do they become more digitally focused? First and foremost is the culture. We've heard this from a number of CEOs that have come into the space. Often they're the folks that are taking a C-level role in either innovation or IT or whatever it might be. And so the culture is very, very important. This means that the company needs to understand as a whole, they are in a blockbuster moment. This requires a cyclical response to not only the process for how you, I think, keep par with the technology infrastructure available today, but also how do you anticipate the shifts in the business in the next five to 10 years? Because I think that's a very important element to the digitization transformation we're seeing across many of these entities. So it sounds like we are really in the midst of a tremendous, tremendous shift. Great example of that is that PwC report we heard about 2025, uh, basically naming the traditional retail banking will shift entirely. Um, we're already beginning to see the tea leaves of that as it relates to the kiosks that we've seen placed within the bank environment, really meant to optimize the concierge services to the consumer and, and build out a much more efficient flow into that brick and mortar. So I think the questions these folks are asking are, number one, are what is my general infrastructure as it is now? And that's sometimes a very difficult question, particularly as we'd seen big banks buy up, say, pretty significant regional players in the U.S. It's one thing to matriculate new technology onto one stack, but to have several, if not maybe dozens, that's a pretty significant challenge. And the other side of that is a lot of this production offering is out there in the works right now. So, for example, you know, what is the challenge that a lot of these banks face? Well, it's shifting from, say, one infrastructure to another. And how do you optimize that flow and a downtime? And there's a lot of, I think, challenges just generally in keeping par with talent as well. So we see a lot of folks, for example, working in artificial intelligence right now that have a very difficult time gleaning that comp sci graduate from Stanford or U of I. And those folks are going after the very sexy roles at Google where the data set's huge. And so that's a big challenge as well, is bringing in the type of people that could actually help reconcile the challenge of digitization. Where do you see some of the most exciting things going on where fintech is really pushing the ball forward? So one area that's gotten, I think, a lot of attention in the past few weeks, particularly, is blockchain as it relates to ICOs, the acronym for ICOs, initial coin offerings. And so this is really a moment of the Wild West when it comes to financial innovation. These are effectively digital tokens that represent an equity stake in a business. And so this world of ICOs now drills down to that one small piece of equity per token. It's represented across a blockchain ledger. And we've seen just in the past few months, literally less than six months, a number of startups raise well over $1.3 billion in a collective amount of time of less than days. Some of these projects raise hundreds of millions of dollars within the 12-hour period. And so to the investor, this is a very interesting point in time. This whole blockchain ICO space is very exciting, and it means that now digital assets can be tracked as a piece of equity over time. And so that will present some pretty interesting, I think, new features and offerings in the next five or six years. And <laughs> that's just got to be the start of it, I would imagine. What else do you see? The other areas we're seeing right now generally relate to, I think, cybersecurity. We've seen a lot of Wealth Management 2.0 or the RoboAdvisor 2.0. So there's been a new flood of folks working in that space. But Q1 2017, we saw about, I believe, $4 billion deployed globally into financial technology. You know, As of last year, there was a little bit less activity, but um, we're picking right back up this year. There's also a lot of talk in terms 
of the fintech landscape changing in relationship to traditional financial services, where at one point fintechs were looked at strictly as competitors and now more so are being viewed as collaborators. You know, one thing to note about all the capital that's been deployed in the past four years, one out of four of these investments came from a corporate venture arm, particularly a financial institution. So I think, you know, the question, or at least the statement that was posed by Jamie Dimon a few years back of, you know, the fintech Silicon Valley is coming to eat your lunch, that's partially true. I don't think it's 100% true. The shift has really moved more towards build together and collaborate together or buy outright. This is evidenced in a number of ways. I think number one is both just from the investment activity, but number two, we've seen an ongoing, I think, push to acquire talent. And so what this means is folks are building pretty significant channels into universities and particularly comp side programs throughout the country and elsewhere in the world. Um, often that looks like an acquisition, an acquihire, wherein, say, the startup has built some traction, is, is clearly exemplified the ability to build a product that's relevant, and then perhaps a financial institution that may or may not have delved into a particular domain or specific product will scoop them up very quickly to offer that. And so this is one of the ways that we've seen some of the activity in, in bringing technology into the financial institution. There's a couple other tactics we've seen. So, for example, a bank called Banco Original, which is based in Brazil, a mobile-only mm -hmm. financial institution, they're effectively bringing technology in as a kind of a Frankenstein of sorts. So taking portions or unique features or certain types of products and bundling that up under the Banco Original branding. And so that's a very interesting approach where we've seen a number of these, I'd say, kind of faster-moving or challenger banks adopt a quick-to-market path by either acquiring or white-labeling these folks. The financial technology world is very much exploring a way to get better by doing better, and that's uh, working with underserved markets. It's something you're going to be talking about at BAI Beacon. What do you see the role of fintechs in terms of unlocking this market via payments innovation? The emerging market is perhaps the most exciting, I'd say, domain that we see. The reality is, is the technology is available today to bank everyone in this world. You know, as we watch generally the cost and the path or the barriers to building product and going to market continue to flatten. And then with that, the iterative cycle of building a product in a smaller amount of time, when you look at the emerging markets, so using, for example, Indonesia or the Philippines, wherein the brick and mortar offering of a retail bank does not make sense. So, for example, Indonesia, 18,000 islands, 6,000 of which is inhabited. Banks are not going to build brick and mortar on every one of those islands to serve their demographic. But at the same time, you look and cross-reference the engagement as it relates to both smartphone and dumb phone. Indonesia is perhaps one of the largest, if not the top five demographics when it comes to actually engaging with the phone. And so not only is the channel there, but I think more importantly, it's the general kind of behavior of the consumer that needs to be influenced in the sense that banking is trust. And to trust something on your device is a very significant step away from having a physical fiat currency in hand or, you know, the challenges and kind of the standards you've grown up with using money. So the emerging market, 1.5 billion under bank, 2.5 billion in total, really, that is the market that I think is wide open. The challenges they face are often corrupt governments, very strict and difficult capital control requirements. But again, as the cost of building a startup becomes less, and as these folks recognize the delta between what is available and what is being made, I think we can expect this to be a multi-trillion dollar market in the next 20 years. Fascinating. Multi-trillion dollar market in any sector is big news, and especially in terms of the underbank, very good news. Scott, you've given us such a precise view into the world of fintech. Thank you so much for being on the program today. 
Thank you, too. It's always a pleasure to work with BAI, and we look forward to the event in October. So thanks again for having me. We will see you there. Scott Robinson is the founder and vice president of Plug and Play Fintech, and you can look for him on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, fintech in the 21st century embraces two key areas, the enterprise-facing side and the consumer-facing side. The enterprise-facing side is particularly exciting because there's been a lot of stress put on it in the last year. That leads up to a big question, how do legacy infrastructures become more digitally focused? Much of this rests on company culture, the willingness to embrace the blockbuster moment and go after talent that knows how to seize the day. Number two, three areas of fintech show a tremendous amount of potential. First, cybersecurity. Second, wealth management. And third, blockchain. In fact, thanks to blockchain, a new company can raise millions of dollars within minutes. And number three, fintechs are shifting from competitors to collaborators with financial services organizations. That means opportunities to build new technology together and to collaborate on technology that can change the fortunes of financial institutions worldwide. As you consider your relationship to a fintech, don't rule out collaboration as it holds the key to future powerful developments. Scott mentioned the initial coin offering or ICO during the podcast, and it is really such a new phenomenon that many people in the financial services industry are still catching up to what it is and what it means and the kind of impact it could have. There's an excellent article that ran in Forbes called A New Way to Raise Money, the Initial Coin Offering. And the author, Jonathan Chester, does a wonderful job explaining it in everyday terms. Chester writes, The idea around an ICO is that you create a digital coin or token and then you offer this coin or token for sale in an initial offering. An ICO is in some ways similar to an initial public offering. Both are done to raise funds, but instead of stock, your ICO purchase gets you a new type of coin or token, an asset rather than a security. And indeed, some people are getting rich in a hurry. Boxing champion Floyd Mayweather Jr. took to Instagram to promote his initial coin offering, Stocks, S-T-O-X, and within a day raised $30 million, thus making Floyd Money Mayweather, his real nickname by the way, a winner by a knockout. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast. Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. And as you check out our archive, connect with BAI on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to stay up to date on BAI's latest and greatest. Be sure to tune in next week when a new podcast goes up. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.